Welcome to the Alienist Angel of Darkness recap podcast. My name is Alex, and I have not read Caleb Carr's The Angel of Darkness. And my name is Nick, and I have read Caleb Carr's The Angel of Darkness. Today we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 7 of the TNT series titled Last Exit to Brooklyn. While we will not be spoiling any of the book, and by extension any future plotlines of the show, we will be discussing the details through Season 2, Episode 7, so pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of the episode. You can find more episodes of our podcast at TheAlienist.tv, and you can send feedback to feedback at TheAlienist.tv to tell us what you think of our podcast. If you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to mpn.bz slash Patreon and pledge as little as a dollar a month to make our network even better. Special thanks to Jason K. and Tom Z. who have pledged at the level of $10 per month. And speaking of the other shows on the Midwest Podcast Network, please check out Horror Movie Your Book's latest episode with their Vampire Movie Bracket, as well as the latest episode of the Midwest Game Nerds, where we talked about Carrion and Grounded. Uh, Nick, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm ready to discuss The Alienist. That's good. That's why we're here. Yeah. Uh, thank, you. We... thank you for meeting me. <laughs> of course. At the chalkboard. Um... We did get an email from Sue. Uh, we wondered if she had read The Angel of Darkness or not last week, uh, because she wrote in and said that she was enjoying the uh, the Sarah and John love story going on in this season. She says, Hi guys, well, I guess Nick and I are the only two people out of the millions who listen to your podcast that have read both books. Hmm. I'm a bit embarrassed, however, that my last email was about the love interest between Sarah and John when the other feedback emails were so scholarly. Microscopes and fat cells and such. Speaking of the fat cells, or the lack of them, you guys were hysterical talking about Luke Evans in the bedroom scene. Even though I'm all for Sarah and John getting together, I think you are right about Sarah's feelings, and, uh, and now I have to feel sorry for Violet. In the book, you didn't have to worry about the, these, uh, these things because the relationship between Sarah and John was so fun. I also agree with Nick about what, the la- uh, about what the last two episodes will cover because in the book, there's so much more that happens. Even though the show doesn't follow the book, it is still very entertaining, almost as enjoyable as you guys are. Phew, all this writing made me thirsty. I think I'll, ha- I'll go have a glass of Lake Michigan water, better than any bottled water. Sue. Thank you, Sue, for writing in. Um, Thank you, Sue. So lovely. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so obviously, Sue is either in Michigan or Wisconsin <laughs> or, <laughs> or Illinois, Illinois, Chicago, yeah, or a sliver of Indiana. <laughs> Sue from Gary, Indiana. I don't know. Um, but uh, no, yeah, Lake 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 Michigan water is is pretty good. It's very clear. It was clear the last time I was there. It's a very clear lake. I haven't been to Michigan in a while i have some family that live in grand haven and the last time i think i was there was almost two years ago so okay it's been a minute you know, it's been a while for me too but last time i was there i remember being shocked by how clear it was, it was have you been to superior a long long time ago superior sweet because it's so clear it's like weird like crystal clear where you can see straight straight through at least where we were when i went that's awesome. beautiful. Yeah. And also freezing. <laughs> See, growing up, our family's place was on Lake Huron. So that's the lake I'm really used to. Okay. But the one time uh, I went to Superior, I was like, holy crap, this is cold. Yeah. No, I, yeah. The further north you go, the colder the water can be in, uh, in the summer times. But, uh, yeah. 
No, Sue, thank you for for writing in. Um, I think, um, obviously, we'll be talking about these next two episodes and what they covered or did not cover. Um, yes. But, I, I, yeah, I don't want to go too deep into that because we're only talking about episode seven at the moment. So maybe next episode we'll talk a little bit more about the whether the show caught up <laughs> with the book or just decided to not do that. And, Sue, you are going to be in for a surprise with some of my thoughts and feels on uh, stuff that happens in these last two episodes, particularly episode eight. So, oh, little tease there. Stick tuned. Yeah, stick tuned. I don't know if you were going to download episode eight of our podcast, but mm-hmm. hopefully you will now. <laughs> yeah, you were going to call it quits seven <laughs> seven eighths of the way in. Yeah. <clears throat> you know what? These guys aren't for me. <laughs> I give you gave us a shot. I'll give you that. That's for sure. All right, shall we get on with the recap? Oh, I was going to say, Mariana sent in a great email. It's quite long. I think it will be better for us to go over in our season recap episode. So thank you for sending that email in, Mariana. Um, But we will discuss that at a later date, uh, considering the things that she brings up and and just kind of, it'll give us a little more room to talk about it on on an episode without so much recapping to do. So Okay. Shall we get on with the recapping? I. All right, in the teaser, Burns and Doyle beat up Fat Jack at Cyrus's bar and try to get a bead on Google. But Fat Jack claims not to know anything, so Burns offers money in exchange for the baby, no questions asked. Even more money once the baby is finally delivered. Sergeant Kelly at the Brooklyn Police Department provides Sarah and John with a Blackwell Island asylum file on Elspeth Hunter. They learn that she was committed when she tried to kill her mother. Um... Kind of cool to see uh, them go to, like, the Brooklyn police and kind of, I don't know, for some reason the Brooklyn police feel much more accommodating than the New York City police. I don't know much about that historical dynamic, Mm. but uh, they seem to be at least a little bit more receptive, even though he's a little dismissive of Sarah's theories on on, uh, Libby and Elspeth. Yeah, he's really presented and played as like a a rural cop. Like he came yeah. across very like small town and I was like I thought that was funny. I'm like it's Brooklyn still. Like I don't know, I guess back then a lot of the boroughs like that may have been significantly smaller or less developed, so to speak. But Yeah. Either yeah, way, I- it was funny. It was kind of refreshing too cuz he seemed like Instead of, like, one of these bent cops that we've been dealing with the whole time, he's just this guy who's like, is that all you need? Because I want to go home. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very, it's just a, it's, it's weird to think about a time where Brooklyn doesn't feel like it's just a quick jaunt across the lake or something like that, you know? Yeah, and, seriously. And so, you know, there's so many, like, we even have a friend that, that lives in Brooklyn and, could commute into work when that was a thing that you would do into New York. Uh, and, and so when people, it's went just to work. Kind of, yeah, when people would go to work. So, um, but yeah, it was just interesting to try and get a feel for like, was it just the particular precinct we've been dealing with in New York city? That's been kind of terrible or was it more rampant corruption kind of deal? But, not necessarily a question that the show aims to answer. Um, Doyle and Burns, I feel like we see like a crux of Burns' evilness in in these two episodes, hmm. and uh, and I feel like um, 
seeing the real meat of his dirty work in this episode where he's ready to undercut Sarah and, and offer money for the baby, I think was, uh, it felt like a further step forward with who Burns was. And we'll have to discuss where it ultimately ends up. In episode yeah. Eight. Burns takes quite a journey in these last two episodes. He really I, does. I can't get a beat on that guy still. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Uh, anything else for the teaser? No. All right. Act one. Laszlo and Karen visit a fetish club to meet its proprietor, Alice, whose partner, Rose, exhibits a similar fixation to that of Libby's nursing. Alice postulates that Rose gains life only during the act, but is otherwise detached from the world. Laszlo assumes and asks if Rose was abandoned as a child, and Alice tells him that Rose's mother left her at age four. Libby feeds the Vanderbilt baby, wistfully looking out on the water, wanting to go on a ship to take them away. Gugu leaves to meet Fat Jack, who tells him of Burns' no-questions-asked offer. Leslie tells Karen that he learned more about the fetish club than he did out of all the books that he studied and doubts whether or not he should be, be an alienist, and Karen wonders why that's what he took away from the experience. Laszlo asks Karen if she's been to the club as a customer before. Karen says that she likes to keep her mind open to new experiences and feelings. Then Sarah calls Laszlo away. Laszlo arrives to meet Sarah, John, and Burns as they head in to speak with Libby's mother, Mallory Hunter. Um, the fetish club was was interesting to kind of see Laszlo... It's always nice to see Laszlo kind of reevaluating what he thinks he knows about the world. Yeah. And, and I think... Um, having him in that environment and kind of observing things rather than just reading about them in a book. I think that was a very, he even has the line talking about how he studies all of this stuff as one would look at the moon through a telescope and know of its features. Yes. That was and a I, great, a great way to describe it. It was very eloquent. Absolutely. And like, I feel like it's a, it's a very profound way to think of like book knowledge versus practical and applied knowledge. And, uh, and, and I think they illustrated that very well. Um, yeah, it seemed to me an odd detour in a way to go there for the purposes of uncovering some stones, uh, in regard to the case. I kind of felt, I guess that's the only way you get Laszlo there. Otherwise we, as the viewer would be like, what are they doing coming to this place? But I, the whole thing just kind of felt funny. I was like. Does Laszlo well, need to go there to understand this deviation as he describes it? Or, I don't know. I just, at this at this point in the show, I was watching it and like looking at my watch and being like, is this where we should be spending time? <laughs> That's fair. Well, and the weird thing about it is, too, is that I feel like I remember Laszlo visiting a dominatrix at some point in season one as well. Yeah. So it feels yeah. like he's not that far removed from this world although this certainly seems like an escalation of of just like a dominatrix's house where people would go to find her this is like a group of people gathering together and exploring their own sexual desires right so yeah um, i mean i guess yeah it it would be of interest to laszlo he's he's studying the mind and he associates all this with the mind so yeah it didn't it didn't like it wasn't a huge deal to me, but I, as I was watching it, I was just kind of thinking like, this is a an interesting, so part of the problem for me with this and with the case is like Libby keeps evading them. She keeps escaping. She keeps continuing with like her, her crimes essentially. Yeah. And I keep, I'm disappointed that they are always more than one step behind her 
because it feels like they could be doing better. And that's one thing that kind of disappoints me from the, the even though in the book they're generally behind the ball with her all the time, you, I really have the feeling they're trying a lot harder. And in the show, there's so much time spent dealing with all the other stuff in their lives. And you, you miss, I miss the drive in the book where like, everything is driving towards solving this crime because it's a race against the clock. And part of that has been stripped away because baby Anna has already been recovered. But Mm -hmm. so in the book, Anna is not recovered until the literally the end of the book. Like there's not this like additional baby. And while the clock of a Vanderbilt baby is probably even more extreme, I never got that feeling from the show that they were like, Hey, all hands on deck. 24-hour days, you know, seven days a week, we are committed to finding this kid. It felt like, you know, oh, I'm going to go to this fetish club with my not-girlfriend and interview this person about this one particular quirk of Libby's. It feels like an episode three thing, not an episode seven thing. That's the perfect way to describe it. Yeah. While, meanwhile, Sarah and, and company are doing the actual, like, police work of tracking down the mother and all that kind of stuff... And I'm not trying to diminish what Laszlo's instincts or efforts are because these kind of things that he does pursue in the book are – they do help paint the picture and build the the uh, the profile. But what's different from this case against like the Beecham case is they know who this is. They know who she associates with. They know where she's going. And There's they, so much more to go off of. Yes. And they, just grasping it, at it, straws. Yep, and in the book, you really get that feeling of, like, they're turning the screws, they're dialing it up to 11, they're not leaving 808 Broadway, they're having all their food brought to them from Delmonico's by Cyrus and Stevie, because they <laughs> won't leave, because they're working on it. And in this, we've got, like, the Hearst stuff, and got a lot of other stuff. <clears throat> and the particular predicament that I find myself in, and one of my notes for episode 8, because I literally took zero notes on episode 7... <laughs> Because it just didn't compel me that much, I guess, because I knew we were building towards eight. Um, <clears throat> was that the show does all the character stuff so well and all the interpersonal stuff, it does better than the books, I would say. But everything involving the cases and the mysteries, the book does way better than the show. Like in the show, the actual killings really feel like they take a backseat to the interpersonal drama and the character development. And I'm not necessarily saying you have to choose one over the other. I feel like you could do both. And the show doesn't ever quite make the mystery and the and the murders and the, the, the main conflict of the story ever. It doesn't ever quite give it the momentum that I feel like it should. And this season did a lot earlier, but I really felt it losing steam in the last few episodes. I found myself just kind of being like, all right, like, they don't seem to care so much about catching her today. So maybe we'll just see where this scene goes kind of thing. <laughs> Whereas in the book, you're literally just like, oh, my God, they have to catch this lady because she's leaving such a body count in her wake. She yeah. kills so many people in the book. And it's nuts. And and there's a reason why John is stricken with terror at the literally the mention of her name in the book because she's horrifying. And in the show, I was just like, it, it just the the same the same weight and momentum aren't really there so did you did you feel that way at all um i think 
I didn't mean to inject this into the middle of recap, but no, 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 that's fine. I, I think honestly, it didn't, it didn't strike me in my first viewing much at all. Like it, it wasn't, I felt pretty along for the ride, but I didn't necessarily like, it's funny as I was reading off this recap, I was like, so what did they really learn from being at this club? Other than it just giving us a nice moment with Laszlo and Karen again. And honestly, the answer is nothing. That's so. I think in in retrospect, I'm I'm completely with you, but at the time, it didn't it didn't necessarily strike me that we were spinning wheels in episode seven. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I knew that this was over this yes. night. You know, yeah, right? yeah, that's true. So I, I I agree with you, but it didn't necessarily present itself in, until later. And and it just. I think plot driven versus character driven is a type of thing where you could look at shows and like look at different periods in their seasons and different times when they were show run by different people or anything like that. Even like episodes of Game of Thrones, you could sit down and be like, this was a character driven episode of Game of Thrones or this was a plot driven episode of Game of Thrones. Mm. But um, I think you're right. I think the alienist thus far has been more concerned about giving you these characters and setting up these characters that I really adore and have grown to love. Absolutely. But it feels like, and even from Mariana's email that I didn't read, I think she's also dissatisfied in the same way you are with the plot and how things are not necessarily as driven by the plot and, and the character's... I think the characters, I, f- I see the characters feeling a sense of urgency, but I don't necessarily feel like their actions always line up to that. So I, I can I can certainly agree with you, and, well, and I think it's an interesting predicament. Yeah, and that's exactly it. It's a predicament, because like I said, they're doing the character stuff so well, and largely better than the book, and particularly because there's not, you're not following one narrator, you do get to bounce around with different characters. You're not following the whole thing through Stevie's eyes. Uh, So that certainly helps tremendously, but they're also just giving them a lot more thought and they're making it about them and not so much about the case. Whereas the books are a little more about the case and the characters are, are there and they are still characters and you do grow to love them in the same way with the books. It's just on the, in the show they're, they're doing it better. I mean, it's pretty much that simple. So it's a predicament because like you said, I'm I'm kind of watching the club scene and being like, this is cool. Like, this is a cool scene. It looks nice. This is interesting. All these actors, like, are these these characters that are in these slightly, is Laszlo so uncouthly said, deviant relationships and behaviors. And watching, um, watching him navigate that is really interesting and, like, cool. So, that yeah, that's great for, like, Laszlo. But then I'm kind of like, ooh, this lady's out there with this baby and, like, all these cocaine-doing gangsters like this <laughs> yeah. seems like the bigger priority and all most of the characters just kind of have this feeling of like hey, well it's five o'clock I'm, I'm not bringing this home with me and then they <laughs> get up and then they go have their fancy dinners and their and their dates and sarah is the only character that seems to be like that's 100 you know, percent what i was about to say turning the wheel I feel like sarah is the one that is that is knows the grindstone trying to figure this out and and everybody else you know which is awesome for her and yeah. so ap- appropriate and wonderful. Uh, it's just a bummer because, like I said, in the book, you really get the feeling of those late nights and those early mornings and those long stretches where John wakes up on the chaise lounge in the headquarters <laughs> and, like, 
Laszlo's still at the chalkboard writing stuff down and like Cyrus is bringing breakfast and like you really feel like you're in college with all of them basically and <laughs> you know the term paper is due in an hour and you haven't started it and people die if you don't turn it in so hey, it's a predicament because I, I love it I love the show I love what it what it does well I just miss that urgency and that terror it, it certainly meets the I feel like in all of these uh well in in preacher at least not in Westworld but with preacher in this show we end up touching back on the idea of what is a good adaptation which mm-hmm. is an eternal question in in the entertainment business and it sounds like they've adapted the characters well yes but the plot hasn't come through in the way that book readers would enjoy and and I think I think it makes sense. I don't know if the show as a whole, if I didn't know you and we weren't having this discussion, I'd be sad, first of all. But also, (laughs) I don't know that it would have directly bothered me as much that they weren't doing those things. Because I do love the moments where it feels like they're doing the police work and they're figuring it out. They're checking out those files, you Mm -hmm. know, things like that. But. I still was along for the ride on this season and, and and I think I think it does it okay but it certainly sounds like it could be doing it better. Yeah. So. And and like I said they the first several episodes I was like holy shit like they're doing it. Like Libby Libby's here and she's yeah. getting shit done and it's scary. And then the more they unveiled about her in the in the book, the more you learn about her, the more monstrous she becomes. And the mm. the larger than simply a mortal serial killer does she feel. She starts to take on this like insane level of villainy that is that could almost be too big if not handled properly. And in the show, the more they uncover with her, kind of the more you sympathize with her in a way. Uh, 100%. Which is kind of the whole purpose of Laszlo's profession is to figure out why people are the way they are and and to treat them like he's a doctor, right? So that's what he's going to want to do. But you as the reader, you're just like, no, man, we got to kill this lady or arrest her or, you know, throw her in the electric chair, whatever it takes to stop her. And in the show, you, I just found myself kind of pitying her rather than being really scared of, uh, of her appearing on screen. Yeah, but the, she does have those moments still in these two episodes where she shows up, and I'm like, "Oh God, here we go!" Absolutely. So credit yeah. to the performance, certainly more than anything. But the writing just wasn't quite there as much for me. But well, yeah, I think I kind of wanted to get that all out up front so that I I'm not vomiting it out at the end to kind Makes of explain sense. how I was approaching these last two episodes. That's fair, particularly That's this fair. one. Um, in terms of other stuff here in Act 1 to touch on, I don't think there's a whole lot to take a look at, but, um, I did like the moment of John and Sarah kind of peering over at Burns on the street, and he's, like, throwing change out for the kids and kicking one in the ass to get it moving and stuff like that. Um, so it, you know, it's, I, I, I liked a lot of the little moments that they had in here. Even the ones, like you said, you mentioned the idea of Laszlo kind of saying, um, calling their calling the fetish club something in their deviant and, and, or an ailment. I think you mentioned something about Libby's ailment and mm-hmm. it sets off the proprietor a little bit and kind of makes her distance herself and 
and you can tell that he stepped on himself a little bit there. So I, I, I enjoyed those little moments, but they're character moments, as you're saying. So, mm-hmm. uh, all right. Good. Yeah. Um, Mallory's first line of saying, I read the papers and I've been expecting you. I thought that was very good too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was good. All right, Act 2. Laszlo's cutting alienism reveals that Mallory faked Libby's attack on her to have the Children's Aid Society take Libby's child away from her. Libby doesn't know where the child is, but the child is clearly in danger regardless. Google. Returns home with the gold and black striped cloak for, er, coat for Libby, but he informs her that there's a reward for returning the Vanderbilt baby. Libby grows angry at the thought when Gugu shoves her into a wall and takes the baby. Laszlo has the Isaacsons bring the memory boxes from Lizzie's ner- Libby's nursery back to his place. They all theorize that the first memory box of Lib- is actually of Libby's biological child, and Laszlo thinks she's trying to replace that child with every baby since. Fat Jack informs Burns that Gugu would, uh, was going to meet them, but Gugu does not show up, leading Fat Jack to a beating by the police. Burns hatches a new plan with Hurst to lure Libby out, and he proposes it to Mallory Hunter. Um, meeting Libby's mother, I thought all of that was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all, all of the alienism came out in <laughs> this scene, and it was <laughs> both horrifying. Like, even John has a moment where he's like, my God, Laszlo! Yeah. And <laughs> but but Laszlo's a hundred percent right. Yeah, it seems at least so. Yeah, it's um, it's cool to see that fire in Laszlo when he's not, he won't back down or sugarcoat it. Like he yeah. he gets that way in the book too, where it almost seems like he's being aggressive, and usually John is the one to be like, "What are you doing?" And <laughs> he just presses, and then he gets the results, and they go, "Okay." Well, and even the first, the first time, like, I think the first question Laszlo asks is, like, why do you think your husband killed himself? Mm-hmm. And it causes Burns to, like, cock yeah. his head at Laszlo. And it's almost kind of like, he's like, well, this is why they all hang out together. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> so that was a, that was a beautiful little moment. But Burns um, being a reluctant member of the crew is so good. Absolutely. A hundred percent. More Burns, the more Burns, the merrier. Mm. But, um. Yeah, so so meeting Mallory was interesting, and I, and I thought it was a good. Um, it, it all just worked for me in, in that sense of like. So how I guess you don't have to go all the way with this answer, but do you? Yes. Can you comment on? I guess number one is Mallory in the book, and number two, does this background match up with the book or not mm. so cleanly? I think in broad strokes, yes, it does match up. I don't think, I, to my knowledge, I don't recall Mallory being in the book. But okay. by this point in the book, we are completely, I mean, we've, we've fired off in a, in a wholly different direction. Okay. So okay. things are very different, at least, yeah, that's all I'll really say. Things are different in the book by this point. So the idea of like Elspeth or Libby having a child and her mom thinking she shouldn't have it and having it taken away from her. Well. Yeah. <laughs> it's more the order of events that happen and and where they happen. Like hmm. it it turns into like a sort of a a road show almost in a weird way. Like they leave New York City for a while and they don't okay. they don't just go to Brooklyn. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, yeah. And that's like no, that's like before but it's probably like the halfway point of the book maybe. <laughs> like 
basically a lot more happens in the book than in the show, as you would expect for eight, yeah. eight episodes versus 700 pages. Uh, and, and what happens is quite different. But ultimately, it kind of lands in somewhat of the same area. Okay. All right. Yeah, we don't necessarily need to spoil the book if anybody's reading. Yeah. But um, interesting. Uh, we, they did they did go out of New York in season one a little bit. They also had ten episodes as opposed to mm-hmm. eight. Yeah, that's true. Um, it led to the wonderful John talking about Fig Newtons, mm-hmm. moment. but um, instead of Goo Goo, we had Fig Newtons. Yes. Uh, yeah, I should have put Fig Newtons on the soundboard. Unfortunately. <laughs> well, maybe if there's a season three. Yeah, so. there you go. We'll have a whole. We'll have an entire <laughs> more more board. <laughs> yes. More sounds. Yes. Um, how about the Goo Goo wanting to turn the baby in? Did that happen with like Anna or anything like that? Because I feel like that's a pretty logical place for their partnership to kind of go. No, Goo Goo in the book is way... He doesn't give a shit. Like, he truly... He just doesn't really give a shit about anything. Like, he's he just wants to, like, do coke and, like, order his gang around. And mm. Libby is... Libby's in the driver's seat in that relationship a little more in yeah. the book. Okay. Uh, he's not nearly as, like... They don't have like a relationship like they seem to in the in the show. They actually seem to care about each other and yeah. have sort of a sort of a real relationship in a in a twisted way. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the book, that doesn't really exist in the same capacity. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Gugu wanting the easy out makes makes a lot of sense for where things are at. And oh, totally. Well, because. He's unfortunately the sane one in the dynamic, and he's like, yeah. he even says like, you know what's going to happen eventually anyway, like, mm-hmm. which is a sick thing that he's like, yeah, you're just going to kill it or you're going to abandon it, and then you'll pick another one. Let, might as well make some money off of it. Yeah, and that's unfortunately kind of the rational <laughs> decision. <laughs> return it, return it to where it belongs with his parents and home, and also give us a bundle of money. And then she loses it. And she's so scary when she like, when she freaks out. Oh, so, so creepy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other than that, fat Jack, not, uh, not a whole lot there. I did forget to mention when fat Jack was in the carriage with Laszlo a couple episodes ago, Mm -hmm. there's a moment and I should send you the, the clip or something on my phone. Where it just basically feels like Fat Jack is a Thomas Middleditch character, <laughs> and it was really it, it's weird because even when I wa- I, wa- I ended up watching it a third time because Nicole wasn't able to watch it with me either the first two times, and uh, and the third time I watched it I was like God that might as well just be Thomas Middleditch in a shadow acting like a Hudson Duster I guess. So yeah, you have to send me that. Or tell me I what will. the timestamp is. I, yeah, oh my god! I, now I wish Middleditch was in this show <laughs> and Schwartz. Yes, absolutely. God, Ben Schwartz, and yeah, that'd be incredible. If season three happens and Ben Schwartz is suddenly just playing Stevie, just <laughs> driving a carriage around. No, I want him to be like, like, uh, I want the, somebody. The, the two of them to be cops. Doyle. That yeah, yeah, they're cops yeah, they're, that hang out with Burns. <laughs> They've been assigned yes. to Burns. They're the interns. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. Luring Libby out. I guess we're going to get to that here soon. Uh, 
I love Hurst's just kind of like, how much money is this going to cost me? And the fact that he's like, Burns is a benefactor and trying to impress Vanderbilt. Yeah. All right. Act three. Sarah slept over at Laszlo's, worrying John. As Laszlo and Sarah look at the memory boxes, Sarah wonders if maybe Mallory Hunter only had her daughter because she was pressured to and did not actually want to have her. Burns has photos taken of Clara with her grandmother. And Gugu brings home the Vanderbilt baby and Libby almost kills him until he calms her down. As Libby picks up the baby, she notices the New York Journal has an article about her biological baby, Clara, being adopted by her mother, Mallory, and she grows angry. Sarah learns of the paper article and informs John, who goes to see Hearst. John tries to admonish Hearst's unethical journalism, but Hearst tries to skewer John over his treatment of Violet. Hearst explains to John that he expects John to fall in line. Laszlo and Sarah enter Mallory's apartment and admonish Burns' plan when a Pinkerton bursts in to let them know that Libby has been spotted nearby. They wait for her to enter when a knock arrives on the door. Mallory opens the door, but it's not her daughter. It's another redheaded woman. Um, the idea that Libby was like replacing her daughter with these other children uh, felt like something that I was kind of subconsciously assuming all along right yes feels like it fits pretty well so i think that that all made sense the idea that one of those babies wasn't actually deceased um and actually went on i think is interesting it was not something that i was necessarily i didn't think her kid would still be alive so let's start with sarah and the idea of these these mothers having children that they don't uh want to have yeah Uh, yeah, i think super insightful and something that only she could really understand and bring to the table uh, amidst all these dudes and uh yeah it makes sense i mean it's re- it's a real thing you know it's, it's got to be a real pressure i mean i i feel like there's societal pressure for everybody to reproduce and it's worse for women it's like certainly compounded and and you know there's all these s- studies and articles and discussions about if a woman is physically unable to have a child you know is she less of a woman obviously not but or yeah. if she if a woman adopts a child is she less a mother than she would be had she delivered her own child and of course not but there's a lot of thought that goes into this and a lot of discussion and, and the psychological effects on on people have got to be devastating so it, it's a it's certainly a good background and a good story for libby i think that it's i don't know if it's explored quite as thoroughly that particular idea in the book uh, as it is in the show i think by the time they're on her trail they're just more concerned like i said about catching her than figuring out exactly what makes her tick but the issue in the book is more she's smarter than them and she stays Mm -hmm. a step ahead of them and she figures out their next move before they do and she's able to kind of put something between them and her or convince the right people that she's not bad and et cetera, et cetera. So it's sort of a different threat, but the, uh, I think all the little boxes are so freaky and absolutely really, really scary. And I love that how quickly I do. I do really like how quickly Lazo cuts right to the, to the heart of it and is like, no, this, this child isn't dead in this photo and like goes on and, and immediately figures these things out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, it, and it's interesting because it feels like Sarah in this particular episode, it feels like Sarah comes at that as, um, not wanting to bear children of her own. Mm-hmm. 
and feeling those societal pressures, right? And, yeah. And so, as you said, she's primed to deliver that kind of information and understand that before any of the boys do. And um, it's just kind of interesting how there's a juxtaposition between Libby's mother and her and Libby and her daughter, where Libby's daughter is kind of the thing that she's driven to take care of and love and, and, and do, but Libby's mother doesn't feel the same thing even if she had the societal pressure to have the baby at the time, right? Mm-hmm. So, very sad, but uh, interesting. Yeah, and once again, another instance where there's real simpatico between uh, Sarah and Libby. Yep. Which only, only continues to intensify. Yep. Um, Gugu bringing home the baby. That was one of those moments. Her, uh, Libby, Libby pulling the knife out of her boot, ready to like murder Gugu. Like it. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. Yeah. I was surprised he did not die in that moment. Gugu. But yes. Gugu. Um, <laughs> going to miss that. You're going to have to send me that so I can make it a text <laughs> notification. Every time I text you, yeah. you'll hear Gugu. Um, John and Hurst's, um, John going to Hearst to kind of be like, hey, what you're doing in this paper is terrible. And then Hearst being like, what you're doing to my goddaughter is terrible, bro. Um, it's it's very interesting. It, it feels like the show kind of setting up this dynamic between John and Hearst, even later in this episode, uh, when they're waiting for him to show up at dinner and Hearst feels like he, he can order for John and he knows what John wants and that type of thing. They're, they're putting these two men at odds with each other and, and kind of implying that they're the same person, although we know John to have better morals than Hearst does, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, once again, you see Libby and Sarah next to each other, these people that have similar backgrounds or, or something and kind of going into two different directions. And I feel like the Hearst and John thing is doing the same thing. And even Karen and Laszlo is yep. doing something like that as well. Exactly. Although they're more on the same path than the other two pairings that I said. Definitely. So. Yeah, you've got you've got that's great. I mean I'm glad you you said that. You've you've got these interesting parallels and, and they're different degrees of closeness. Like Sarah and Libby are obviously opposed on the the moral scale. And then John and Hurst are closer because they're gonna wind up being family. And then you've mm-hmm. got Laszlo and Karen, who ultimately seem like they'll be an item. At these three yeah. very different relationships, and yet they're all sort of informing the characters more about themselves, and it's 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 awesome. And that's why I'm glad Karen stuck around and and really continued down the path that we kind of anticipated that she and Laszlo would go down, because it really is wonderful to watch him react to her and be around her. And he even says something to that effect, obviously later next week. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, the her I like the scene between John and Hearst because it feels like the first honest conversation they've had with each other, yeah. even though it's still surrounded by all this like fancification of of what they're saying, and it's still very like feels like Hearst. If he had a glove on, he'd pull it off and slap John on the in the face <laughs> politely. But it it at least feels as he says, man to man, and uh, yeah. that was kind of refreshing. You think that. If they could reach an understanding, uh, perhaps they might actually start to get along a little bit more. Basically, yeah. once John just either shits or gets off the pot, we'll determine yeah. whether or not he can coexist with 
Hurst. I guess Hurst yeah. even kind of says straight up, like, I don't really give a shit what you do, but I do give a shit how Violet feels. So if what you do affects her, it affects me, it affects you. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked his moment of like, hey, we're going to be at Delmonico's. We're drawing lots for who gets what bedroom in Newport. You know, <laughs> come on down. It's going to be a good time. I expect you to be there, basically. Uh-huh. You know, that kind of thing. I think uh, interesting for the basically future father-in-law to kind of mm-hmm. be like, hey, be a part of the family because that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to note, this is where Burns is taking photos of Clara with her grandmother and like her new bedroom for the paper. Uh, I do not understand how they didn't burn a house down every time they took flash photography because it's horrifying every time it happens. Yeah. Like, I just literally think they're going to set all of the curtains on fire in the room whenever they do it. And it's incredible that we made it this far as a society with flash photography, but yeah, I mean, it's incredible. We made it this far period. Yep. <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. And then the, the moment, uh, uh, the moment where Burns grabs the like stuffed rabbit and just hands it to yes. her as like, like Burns is putting on his his art director hat <laughs> and his uh, his scenic department props. Yes, we need you to look happy. Yep. <laughs> Kids hold animals. Here you go. Here's an animal. Found that. Take the picture. <laughs> so good. Set dresser Burns. Yep. Um, and then yes, so uh, the moment where they all come together and Laszlo and, and Sarah are kind of like Burns, what the hell are you doing? And then, uh, you know, this, this other red hunted woman gets pulled in, I think is very interesting, but we'll get to that in the next act here. Um, so act four, Lizzie sends in a decoy with a bullet to tell everyone in the room that she has a bullet for them. They clear out from Mallory's apartment and Libby watches from across the street as Laszlo and Sarah take Clara with them. Libby gets recognized, and Gugu, she and Gugu split up to avoid capture. Captain Doyle manages to find Libby and holds her at gunpoint. Libby asks about Clara, and Doyle says she's messed up just like her mom. He takes her, his eyes off of her for one second, and she slits his neck from behind and takes his gun. Laszlo brings Clara to Karen, who appears to have taken over some of the duties of running in the Institute in Laszlo's absence. Bitsy drops Sarah off reluctantly alone at the office. At Delmonico's, Hurst and Violet wait for John. Hurst is confident he'll come, but Violet is not. Sarah calls John and stops short of telling him to break his engagement. He hangs up and goes to leave to Delmonico's, but asks the carriage to wait. Sarah tries to call him again, but he doesn't answer. She hangs up when she hears someone at the office door. It's Libby with a gun, and she wants to know what they've done with her daughter. Scene. Yes. The whole, Burns' whole plan of, like, trying to lure Libby out just felt so terribly informed, and I'm glad that it mostly blew up in his face but um yeah it it kind of worked though i mean it got her attention and it threw her into a into a state it's just yeah she's too wily to fall full force into the trap but as far as pushing her into the next level of like mania it did the trick absolutely i think they they do i think they do some stuff like that in the books to try to throw her off kilter but it's like kind of a tightrope walk because they know if her mental state pushes too far, she'll kill the baby. Uh, yeah. But they do want her to be unbalanced somewhat. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I think it, I think it does make sense. But I think the plan was just so like, why did they even necessarily have to have the child there with them? Right. <laughs> like yeah, I think they exactly. went far enough to establish it. Right. So it feels like Burns left. 
if Burns could have concocted this plan with the team like he should have, then maybe there would have been some better ideas there. Right, but. yeah, if he had included them. Yeah. Um, I hated Doyle. I'm glad he died. <laughs> that's all I have to say about him. <laughs> yep, that's fine. He's been a shit since the first season. He continued to be a shit, so good good riddance. Um, I don't really fully understand if Karen was like running the Institute in Laszlo's stead or not, but they don't really seem to care about that all that much. Yeah. So neither we don't have to either. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, the, the, the whole ending of John and Sarah talking on the phone, I think, uh, I think emotionally was interesting and it was interesting to have Sarah be forthcoming with her feelings because as she says, she doesn't typically express herself that well. Right. Um, but I I felt like I knew where all of it was going to go as soon as Bitsy's trying to drop her off or trying to stay with her, mm. you know, so. Yeah, that's another thing. Like, they book Sarah or anybody would have never been like, sure, leave me alone and with unlocked doors and leave the lights on with Libby on the loose. Like, yeah. They would have taken her way more seriously than that. Absolutely. They weren't um, so busy with their feelings and such. Right. These stupid kids. They're all like um, 23 year old out of control. <laughs> emotional 23 people. year old and 43 year olds being all out of control with their emotions <laughs> yeah. and hormones. Yeah. Oh, John, how old is John? <laughs> yeah. it's so hard to tell. <sighs> 10 in his heart. <laughs> yes. I'm a, sco- right. I'm a school lad. <laughs> Google. Google. Gaga. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Act 5. Sarah almost disarms Libby by explaining that stealing the Vanderbilt baby is taking the baby away from someone who loves it, just like what was done to Libby with Clara. Libby tries to convince, or Sarah tries to convince Libby to hand over the Bander- Vanderbilt baby, and maybe she would be able to see Clara, but Libby doesn't buy it. Libby asks if Clara is messed up in the head, just like her, and Sarah says they will help Clara, and they could help Libby, too. But Libby blames Sarah for everything that has happened. Just as Libby is about to pull the trigger, John comes up from behind, and the shot misses Sarah. John and Libby struggle, with Libby eventually dropping the gun, but managing to get behind John with a knife to his throat. Sarah picks up Libby's gun, and Libby tries to get her to put it down, but the episode ends with a standoff. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, all of this just, I, I feel like we kind of hit the same beats with Libby and Sarah a, a couple times in these last couple episodes, but I do, once again, I do really appreciate that Libby is actually a character in this season and not like Beecham in, in the first season. Mm-hmm. We get to spend time with her. We learn about her motivations and, and it sounds like you're a little less, um, satisfied with the fact that she's so sympathetic of of a character um but it did it did kind of make a world of difference in making me engaged in this season i think mm-hmm. compared to Beecham. so i appreciate it for that matter i i do kind of agree that like i remembered your words about john being horrified of libby when her name was said and i didn't necessarily feel like they were driving that point home so I, I feel like I was kind of there with you, having been informed of that situation. But um, gotcha. But I still do really appreciate the character work because I, I think it I think it worked well, and I think pretty much any time that Libby is in power, it felt 
things felt bad, but the <laughs> fact that they could still like emotionally connect and and raise those stakes at the same time, I felt was was very good. Yeah, I think that's what's what makes her scarier in the book is that even though she is broken, as Laszlo kind of describes later, uh, she still is in control of herself, and she's always mm-hmm. in control at all times, and she doesn't doesn't have these moments like she does in the show where she just flies off the handle. Yeah. Even like Gugu getting the upper hand on her in the apartment and like getting the knife away from her and that, even that seems implausible in the book because she just is so in control and and manipulative of everyone. So sort of, she's just kind of less, she's still threatening in the show, but she's just a little less scary. If that makes any sense. She's more human than like, Mike Michael Myers basically which is kind of more yeah. how she comes across in the book just this unstoppable force yeah and I think it's hard to make that compelling sometimes as we discussed with you know even the saint of killers and preacher and things like that but yeah it, it's it it, it 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 feels like it's a challenge that nobody has really surmounted as of yet in some of the stuff that we've been watching right I, I know it's probably been done out there even in things that I've probably seen but well um, the thing if they if they were taking less time if they were taking time away from her they could continue spending it on the character the main characters which i would enjoy like i would rather have it's it's i'm glad you brought up the Santa killers cuz it's the same kind of in my opinion pitfall that i think a lot of writers run into where they you feel compelled to round out and flesh out and explore every character even the villains and sometimes like the best stuff is when the villains are just black and white bad guys like mm-hmm. you don't i'm trying to think of a but like fuck, who cares jaws like great that shark's a bad guy like <laughs> yeah. you don't care why the shark is the way you don't you're not even gonna be like oh it's just an animal like you don't have a character in the movie doing that being like hooper is for like a second and then he's like nope that shit's a man-eater like we just gotta put it down and yeah. even like I, I don't want to use Star Wars as an example because it's stupid, but like Darth Vader, like for the original trilogy, he's not really you don't get into his background at all. It doesn't matter. He just is this terrifying force that shows up and you get little tiny snippets and it's all in Return of the Jedi when he gets any sort of backstory. Yeah. By the time it happens, it's at the end and it works. You're like, okay, cool. Like he redeemed himself. He's a good dude all along. Neat. And that's it. But Every other time he shows up, you're like, oh, God, Darth Vader. Like the Joker in the Dark Knight. Like, same kind of thing. Yeah. It's almost too black and white where it's cartoonish. Like, he has literally no depth. But it Mm -hmm. works because the movie's not about him. It's supposed to be about the people who are trying to deal with him. Yeah. And that's the way both, to an extent, both Beecham and Libby should sort of be. Is kind of these, like, these hurricanes that are barreling down on everybody and you just are you're with the characters that are trying to deal with it or catch the hurricane before it destroys more cities and you know while i love all the stuff in the show like i said all the character work that is so much so superior to the book uh give them that time and spend that time with these main characters and and can by all means develop those relationships because it's awesome but I think I would have enjoyed it. I would have felt the momentum a little more if Libby was a little more just the like she is in the book and maybe just make her a little less sympathetic and, and make her terrifying again. And she and maybe it was just, again, I'm skewed because I've uh, 
I've read it. So that's kind of what I'm expecting or anticipating or desiring. So maybe for others, it worked more and she is really terrifying the whole time. But sometimes yeah. she just reminded maybe. me of even other times she reminded me of Julianne Moore from Magnolia for some reason. And I was like, this lady is she just needs some help. And uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just bumming me out more than anything. <laughs> she yeah. just needs someone to help her out. Well, and I think it's been, I don't, uh, I mean, she killed, shooting and killed Doyle in this episode, but like, um, I think it's easy, even in this compressed schedule of two episodes per week, that it's kind of easy to forget that that nap baby died and that these babies were killed by this person. That's true. Like they didn't necessarily explore the evilness of what she's doing. Because even by the end of episode seven, I don't really understand if she knows that she's killing these babies or if she's purposefully doing it herself or that all is still looming large over the moments in this episode. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and, that's a big thing that like, that's a, the crimes are, I mean, we, we know at this point what they're coming off of <laughs> yeah. the, the horror and evil of what they've already been dealing with. And this is supposed to take it up even another notch because what she's doing mm -hmm. is so monstrous. And it's unfortunately because of like the, the imbalance of, of sex because she's a woman, it's, it's even taken up even more because they're like, she's supposed to be mothering and she's a woman. Right. And, it, it ties into that same theme that Sarah's talking about. Like women are expected to procreate and be yeah. mothers and be nurturing and loving and generous and give of themselves fully and not ask for anything in return. And with that mindset, a lot of the characters in the book, especially the men and guys like Burns and stuff are like, how can a woman do this? Especially Laszlo. It really, it really turns a weird bias in his head at one point. Cause he's like, how, how can a woman do this how can a mother do yeah. this and uh that I, I felt that lacking a little bit in the yeah. show because like you said it starts off i mean the first half of the season feels almost like a different show because it's so creepy and moody and you've got these like dead children with their eyelids painted and these dolls and like it's like hannibal lecter shit and then by the end it just feels like a lot of that was stripped away and reveals this this person which is which yeah. is more what the first book does. And the second book, like, it ultimately reveals Beecham to be this, like, pathetic, sad, twisted, abused man. And Libby continues to just be this sort of inexplicable, malevolent evil, which is really scary. And they're yeah. both scary. But in the book, it's just a different kind of threat that they're like, oh, my God, we can't, we can't uh, strip down the psychological bricks of this lady's mind. Like, she just won't stop. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, so, okay. All right. I feel, <laughs> I feel like because this scene ends on a cliffhanger, there's not a whole lot more to discuss without continuing on to the next episode. So yeah. what do you say we, we wrap it up and, and move on? Yes. I will see you next week. All right. Wink, once wink, again, wink. you can find, <laughs> once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on the alienist.tv. We're also on Apple podcast, Stitcher radio and Google play podcast. You can email us. Add feedback at thealienist.tv to tell us what you think of our podcast. Share your thoughts on TNT's The Alienist so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding The Alienist or our podcast. Check out MidwestPodcastNetwork.com for the rest of our shows if you want to listen to us after The Alienist has wrapped up. 
Our theme music is the song Division by Kevin MacLeod and is being used under an Attribution Creative Commons license. That's all for the Alienist Recap. This episode of the Alienist Recap, we can't wait to see what the next episode of the Alienist brings, but until then, we'll see you at the chalkboard.